Welcome, dear listeners, to a world that lies beyond the realm of the ordinary, where the mysterious and the unexplained converge. Prepare yourselves for an audio journey that will send shivers down your spine and make your heart race. Welcome to Chillers and Thrillers, the paranormal podcast that delves into the darkest corners of the unknown and where the shadows hold secrets. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Chillers and Thrillers. My name is M, and in this podcast, I recount true tales of the strange, unexplained, and paranormal. Most of the stories I read are ones that I have found online and will credit the writer when I'm able to, but I would love to hear your experiences and theories on what I cover in my episodes. Damien, Danny Torrance, Reagan McNeil, and Cole Sear. What do all these names have in common? Well, they are the child protagonists of some of the most famous scary movies in cinematic history. Damien was the literal child of the devil. Danny Torrance and Cole had the ability to view dead people. And lastly, poor little Reagan was literally possessed by a demon in The Exorcist. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing on children's experiences with the paranormal. As I mentioned in our first episode, I was kind of a spooky kid. I was always fascinated with creepy and scary things. And if you're like me and into the paranormal, you'll know that children seem to have a special type of sensitivity to otherworldly things. Small children are sometimes able to view spirits that their adult counterparts cannot see. And there have been reports worldwide of children who recall their past lives with uncanny details. Dr. Jim Tucker of the University of West Virginia has studied children's past life experiences in exhaustive detail. Many of the cases he has studied, the children he's spoken to either have birthmarks or birth defects that correspond to wounds or marks that their past life had. And many of the children can recall with eerie accuracy small details of the deceased life such as preferred brands of food, day-to-day activities, or other information that would not be readily available. There are many theories as to why children seem to be particularly susceptible to these events, one being that their state of consciousness is somehow clear when compared to adults because they've been on this earth for less time, so their experiences are less clouded by skepticism or second-guessing themselves. And people have a tendency to brush off children's accounts of their encounters with the paranormal. They assume that children have an overactive imagination or are being influenced from outside sources. But I do think there's more to it. I personally believe children seem to be closer to the veil between this world and the other. I find all this incredibly fascinating. And I know some children who also had paranormal occurrences, sometimes even manifest as invisible friends. All of this is to say there are some very creepy and fascinating stories involving children and the paranormal. So let's dig in. Story 1. The Boy Under the Table by Parasite E from Jezebel.com I agreed to watch my nieces and nephews for my brother and his wife at their house since they had been out of town for the day. My nephew and one niece had school that morning, but my other niece was only four, so she stayed home with me. We spent the morning watching cartoons and coloring until it was finally time for her nap. She was laying down on the couch, so I tucked her in with a blanket, making sure she was completely cocooned in the blanket, 
all nice and cozy. I turned the volume on the TV down until I could barely hear it. Taking care not to wake her, I went into the kitchen to work on my math homework. I'm really short, only about 4 feet 10. My feet don't often touch the ground when I'm sitting, so I tend to swing my feet up and down absentmindedly when I'm sitting. As I sat at the kitchen table, looking at my laptop and swinging my feet, I kicked something. I assumed it must have been the leg of another chair, so I moved my foot back. As I go to move that leg again, I feel something touch higher up on my leg, almost up to my knee. I jerked myself back in the chair and look under the table. There's nothing there that would have been close to my knee. I brush it off and get back to work. About 15 minutes later, I hear the little pitter-patter of small feet in the next room. Assuming my niece had woken up and was trying to be sneaky, I walked into the living room and was surprised to see my niece still laying in the couch, perfectly cocooned in her blanket. She was awake now and asked me, Did you hear that too? At this point, I was a little freaked out, but I explained to her that the noise was probably the wind outside, knocking twigs off the tree onto the roof. She didn't seem worried about it at all, and since it was the middle of the afternoon, I stopped feeling creeped out. We get into the kitchen so I could get lunch ready, and she crawled under the table to get her doll that had somehow managed to end up there. While she was down there, she started making a raspy noise. Almost like a quack, but not like how kids would quack when they're imitating ducks. She did this a few times and still hadn't come up from under the table, so I asked her, Are you being a silly little duck? She stopped for a second, stuck her head out from under the table, and asked what I said. I repeated, Are you being a cute little silly duck quacking under there? She calmly looked at me and said, I'm not quacking. Well then, what noises are you making if it's not a quack? She shrugged her shoulders and said, I'm making the same noise as the boy. What boy, I asked. The boy under the table. He keeps making that sound and going like this. To that, she started touching her throat. A huge chill went up my spine as she made that noise, and my brain made the connection. She was mimicking choking. She was imitating a little boy who appeared to be choking under the table. The same table, I felt something touch my leg, not even an hour earlier. I pulled her from under the table and told her we were going to go to the park until it was time to pick up her siblings. We stayed out all day until her parents got back, and I have never even stepped foot back in that house. I was very relieved when they moved a couple of years ago. Story 2. The Man in the Well. Submitted by Reddit user Ferrets23. When I was little, we lived in an old farmhouse on about four acres, and I would go out and play all the time. I came back one day with a braid and a flower in my hair, and my mom asked me who braided my hair and where I got the flower from, since we didn't have any of these flowers growing on our property. And I told her the nice man braided my hair and gave me the flower and played hide-and-seek with me. Concerned, she asked me what man I was talking about, and I told her it was the man in the well. She told me we didn't have a well and took out the flower and braid and told me to play inside for the rest of the afternoon. When my dad came home, she told him what had happened, and he searched the property, but didn't find any evidence of the man in the well. I started telling them I was seeing him all the time now, outside when I was playing, outside my window, and even a few times in the house. 
He kept wanting me to go to the well. My parents asked me if I could show them where the well was, and I took them to a spot near the back of the property where something had clearly been buried, and some stones from the wall of an old well were still lying there. They got an excavator and dug up the well, and at the bottom they found an old box with photos and a wedding ring in it. The photos were too water damaged to be able to see who was in them, and the ring was tarnished. My parents did some research and found that in 1893, a man had died in an accident, and his wife buried some of the things in the well because they were never able to recover his body. After they dug it up, I never saw him again, and my parents believed digging it up set him free and the veil was somehow thinner for me, which is why he could communicate with me. My mom also told me years later that the hair tie in my braid when I came home looked brittle and dirty, like I had found it outside or something. I don't remember much about him, but when we found out his name was Josiah, I told him we found his ring, and he smiled at me and said thank you. I never saw him again after that. Story 3. He's Always Been There. Submitted by user Snarkalicious from Jezebel.com. I've always been weary of the supernatural, anxious to find a reason behind the phenomenon, if only to keep myself from getting too scared. I have no logical explanation for what happens in my house. When we moved in, my oldest was two. His bedroom closet has a small door in the back leading to the attic. My husband and I called it a Malkovich door, put a lock on it and didn't think about it anymore. Until my son started crying at night. He cried because of the mean man in his closet. Every night, same spot. I stayed calm and told him to yell at the man to go away and burned a smudge stick just to be safe. Eventually, my son started sleeping again, so I chalked it up to a lot of changes in a short time. Five years later, my youngest son is three and started having the same nightmares about a spooky guy in his closet. Yeah, he's always been there, my oldest said. I just stopped talking about him. Story 4. There's something on the stairs. Submitted by user Snarky Chu from Jezebel.com. So when I was a kid, I would race up to the top of my stairs as fast as I could, like it was some sort of silly game. Well, I must have been about five or six at the time. I'm not sure, but I know I was very little. Somewhere along the way, a voice at the top of the stairs started to whisper to me. It would make bets with me, such as, I bet you a penny you can't make it to the top of the stairs. I didn't really think there was a certain amount of time or anything. I recall just sitting at the top of the stairs having conversations with this voice about betting or other things. Eventually, the voice, it was like a whisper of a man's voice, not my own voice in my own head, started to bet me my life. Instead of pennies, it'd say, I bet you your life you can't make it up the stairs. As I got older, it stopped. I never really thought about it at all. I never mentioned it to anyone. Until, one night, I was sleeping over at my brother's place. I was about 18 and he was 22. And we were talking about spooky stories. Out of nowhere, I brought up the voice at the top of the stairs. And my brother got all quiet and weird. Before I even mentioned the betting aspect, he said... Did it make bets with you? We both looked at each other horrified. 
It certainly was freaky after the fact. A lot of bad stuff went down with my family during that time period in my life, and my mother, a heavily religious lady, said that there was a lot of evil in our lives at the time. Story 5. May Poe. Submitted by Anonymous. When I was six years old, we lived in an old farmhouse that was at the very edge of a small village in the Midwest. My bedroom was on the second floor, and the closet had a very heavy wooden door. The latch on the door was old and rusted, which my mom didn't think was safe, so we didn't use that closet for anything. Well, I started sitting in the closet at night with the light on, talking to a nice old man who hung out in there. He wore a blue uniform, had salt and pepper hair, and a mustache, and I had a name for him and everything. Maypo. I talked to this nice old man about my life, my family, my friends, school, everything. This went on for about a year. My mom found out about it, forbade me from going back in the closet, and told me to knock it off with this imaginary friend because it was freaking my little brother out. Fast forward several years. There was a town meeting to elect a new mayor for my village, and everyone was supposed to attend. My mom brought my brothers and I with her because she couldn't find a babysitter. At the little town hall, which I'd never stepped foot in before that night, there was a photo memorial plaque on the wall for a mailman who had been hit and killed by a truck delivering mail to the end of the road I lived on. His name was Ralph Maypo, and he looked exactly the same as my imaginary friend. Blue uniform and all. Story 6 that's Not Papa, by user Saritza from Jezebel.com. My grandfather, Papa, died in a car accident when I was still an infant. Naturally, my mother, always a daddy's girl, tried to ensure that I had some idea and concept of him growing up. We had dozens of photos of Papa and my grandmother around our house, and I spent my very early childhood with a solid idea of what my grandfather looked like in life with the exception of his height. For some strange reason, every photograph was taken while sitting, but it was definitely him, with dark hair and eyes and spectacularly 70s glasses. I don't remember when it started, but I began to get visits from Papa. He would come into my room at night and sit on the foot of my bed. It was never frightening because I knew that it was just Papa. He would stand by my pillow and brush my hair from my forehead, he would pull the blankets up around my chin. He would often just stand in the doorway, silhouetted against the living room light. I remember exactly where he stood on the doorframe, due to stickers I had placed everywhere. He was short, so he only came up to a scratch-and-sniff pickle sticker I had placed on my doorframe, and he never spoke. These visits went on for many years. One Christmas, I decided that I wanted to make Papa a card. I worked very hard on my construction paper and glitter monstrosity for several hours. Eventually, I caught the attention of my mother, who wanted to know who the card was for. I told her it was for Papa, and when she didn't seem too concerned, I told her all about his nightly visits and how nice I thought it was that he still came to see his granddaughter. She asked a few questions about what he did, and I grew more excited and rushed over to my bedroom door to show her where he stood. Do you think he can smell the pickle? I asked, because that's right where his head is. It was then that I learned that my grandfather had not been a short man. 
In fact, he was a very tall man. My stickers didn't go nearly high enough to reach his 6'4 height. I have no idea who that man was who visited me for so many years, but my mother swears it was not her father. Story 7. Buzzy. Submitted by user The Ghost of Beeb's Past from Jezebel.com. I was visiting my parents over the holidays. My mother loves nothing more than to break open a bottle of cheap Chardonnay and watch some home videos of us kids when we were little. It's pretty harmless, if a little embarrassing, so we indulge this habit with her. We were watching videos of my sister and I dancing and singing and generally hamming it up for the camera when I was about four or five-ish. We watch about four of these videos and I noticed in every one of them I talk to the camera about my younger brother. I keep saying things like, when I was 10 and my brother was 7, we did this. Or, when I was 8 and my brother was 5, we did that. I don't remember ever talking about this. There was a consistent three-year gap between this younger brother and me and all the activities that we did were on a large rural farm. I only ever lived in major metropolitan areas and my immediate family has never lived on a farm. I asked my mom about it because it was weird. She said she always brushed it off because I was an imaginative little kid. I was always telling stories and I really wanted a younger brother. She said I stopped talking about it around the time my younger brother was born, when I was about six years old. She said there was one time that I said something that really weirded her out. One time I apparently said, when I was 12 and my brother was nine, I fell out of the tree near the silo. It hurt really bad. Buzzy went to get Mama, but when she got back, I was dead. I don't remember ever saying this. My mom said I was really nonchalant, and when she asked me about it, I wasn't bothered. I just said it again like it was a fact. My mom said that my brother was born a few months after that, and I never mentioned it again, so she let it go. She wrote it off as me trying to get attention with a new sibling on the way. Flash forward about three days, and my mom's mom and stepdad are there for Christmas. My mom's stepdad married her mother when my mom was in her late 20s and I was a baby. My mom didn't grow up with him and she doesn't know his extended family very well. After a few glasses of wine, we went back to the baby videos. One of them has me mentioning my brother again. My mom retells the creepy story from earlier and her stepdad goes white. My mom knew that he had a sibling pass away when he was young, but I had never heard that before. His oldest sister, Shirley, had passed away when he was nine. She was three years older than him. They were raised on a grain farm in Iowa, and they were playing on a tree, and she fell head first out of the tree when her foot slipped. My mom's stepdad was right there when it happened. He went to get help, but unfortunately, she passed away from the fall. And the part that not even my grandmother knew? His sister couldn't say his name when she was little and mispronounced it as Buzzy. No one called him that after his sister died. He got really mad at me and was convinced that someone told me and that five-year-old me was messing with him. I had no idea he had lost a sibling. My grandma's the only one in our family who knew all the details about it, but even she didn't know about the nickname. I have no memory of telling these stories as a little kid and even seeing all the videos hasn't helped me remember it. My mom and I haven't talked about it since.
Our last story of the episode doesn't necessarily involve a child who sees a spirit or can speak to a spirit, but it does involve a possible demon that attached itself to a child. As I mentioned earlier, you'll know that children have a sort of energy that attracts things to them and explain things at times, and they're more susceptible to being able to see ghosts because of this, but also more susceptible to attracting things that aren't necessarily positive. Story 8 by Utah Exorcism by Just Bryan, submitted to Jezebel.com. Between 2006 and 2008, I was a Mormon missionary. My mission was in Utah. One night in December of 2006, I was serving in Springfield, Utah with my companion. We got dinner at a local Mexican place, and while we were there, we met a mother and her 16-year-old daughter from Oaxaca. My companion and I were both Spanish-speaking missionaries. They began telling us problems that they had been having with the younger 12-year-old daughter who wasn't present. A lot of creepy stuff had been happening, and the young girl had been acting out. They told us how the younger girl would be breaking things and screaming nonsense at them. The 16-year-old was terrified and told us about one incident in which she used the mirror in her sister's room to take a picture on her camera. The 12-year-old had a sad clown poster in her bedroom, and when her sister took the picture of herself in the mirror, she looked at it and saw that the clown was smiling. She freaked out and deleted the photo, and from then on would avoid her sister's room at all cost. The younger sister seemed to have no problem with her room, though, and laughed at her mother and sister when they showed obvious fear. The mother and daughter asked us to come over to their apartment and bless it to get whatever spirit they thought was there. I should point out at this point I was extremely skeptical. As a missionary, you don't really get called to perform exorcisms like this, and I was pretty sure they were just being superstitious. Nonetheless, we obliged and came over. The younger girl was staying at her friend's house, so it was just me, my companion, the mother and daughter, and another gentleman who lived next door to them. Missionary rules stipulate that two missionaries can't be alone in a room with the opposite sex without another male non-missionary being there. When we got there, I felt this immediate sinking feeling inside of the house. The younger daughter's room was visible from the living room. The door was open and it was completely dark inside. I knew the clown poster was in there and I was curious to see it, but as I stepped towards the room, the hair on my arm stood up and I could feel this huge sense of fear coming over me. My companion and I spoke with them a little bit more while they told us about the daughter. The entire time I could feel the sense of dread emanating from the bedroom behind me. We eventually knelt down to pray. My companion was just about to say a simple prayer, asking that the Holy Ghost be in their house so they could feel better. About 10 seconds into the prayer, my companion stops talking. I open my eyes and he's sitting there, eyes closed, but he can't speak. His tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth and I could see he was struggling to form any words. At this moment, the daughter screamed and I look over and I saw the mother crawling on all fours, moving erratically forward like she couldn't control her body. At this second, all three of us men jumped up and raised our hands to the square and simultaneously repeated a prayer that you learn in Mormon temples to cast out demons. The mother stops and we all sit there, shaken up for a few minutes. I'm terrified by this point, and my companion and I promptly got out of there and never spoke of the incident again. 
Before I end the episode, I wanted to share a personal story regarding children and spirits. When I was about five or six years old in the mid-90s, and my mother would come and wake me up in the morning, I would always complain about being tired from spending all night playing with Bobo Ziku. Just a bit of background. When my father was a young child, he was raised by his godparents, although he had a relationship with his biological parents. So I technically have three grandfathers, my paternal grandfather, my maternal grandfather, and my dad's godfather. In Brazil, grandfathers are called vovó. And since Brazilians also have a tendency to give everyone a nickname, he went by the name Zico. So we called him Vovô Zico, Grandpa Zico. Unfortunately, Vovô Zico passed away in the late 70s, and I was never able to meet him. And because my family immigrated to Canada when I was a baby, at that time period, we didn't have any pictures of him in our house. Anyway, for weeks on end, I would tell my mom how Vovo Ziku would come visit me at night and play with me. These visits slowly tapered off, and a few months later, my father received some old family photos from his godmother. And when he was showing me a family photo that included probably about a dozen different people, I pointed to a man in a fedora and a suit, and I said, There's Vovo Ziku! And I was right, it was him, when he was younger, and with some other family members. But I had never seen any pictures of him before. And I wouldn't have seen any of these pictures of him as a young man either. I thought this was a really sweet story. I'm very close to my dad, and he was very close to his godfather, so I took this as a sign that he was still around. I don't necessarily remember every detail about this, but I do remember a dream where my Bovoziko would come and visit me and we would go to a large park where there would be many other children playing with their grandfathers there. And I remember him pushing me on a swing set. And that's all for this episode. I found some great stories while I was researching for this episode that unfortunately didn't make the cut. So please let me know if you would like a part two. Lastly, what are your thoughts on these stories? Did you ever have a creepy invisible friend as a kid? Or has a child in your life ever recounted any past life experiences? Let me know. I also wanted to sincerely thank you again for listening. If you haven't had a chance yet, please rate, like, subscribe, and share this podcast with all your paranormally inclined friends and family. I have some really great episodes planned for this season, and I'm especially excited about the Halloween episode, which so far looks like it may be over an hour long. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Chillers and Thrillers. I hope these spine-tingling tales of the paranormal have kept you on the edge of your seat. I invite you to join us again soon, and please, again, feel free to submit your own scary story or your theories to chillersandthrillers at gmail.com. Until then... Stay curious, keep your eyes peeled for the unexplained, and never let the fear of the unknown deter you from embracing the extraordinary.